Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're on the phone with your girlfriend. She's upset. She's going off about something that you said. Cause she doesn't get your humor like I do. I'm in my room. It's a typical Tuesday night. I'm listening to the kind of music she doesn't like. And she'll never know your story like I do. I, uh, I, I, I feel like I shouldn't be interrupting. People are mad at me for interrupting Taylor Swift, but I have to. Because this is a talk show, and we're going to talk about Taylor Swift. We're going to do that now. And we'll do it with our good friend, Eric Alper. The, that Eric Alper. 16-time Juno Award winner, six-time nominee for Publicist of the Year during the Canadian Music Week, who's worked with some of the biggest and most important artists of our time. That ericalper.com How are you? I'm good. Eric, what makes Taylor Swift so so special? Um, you know, uh, or is that a dumb at question? At the end of it all, it has to be the songs. That's that's the starting and end point for all of it. Just the fact that she has exceptional songwriting skills and always her available uh, her the ability for her at the time of 12 years old to start writing lyrics on MySpace and connecting with total strangers around the world um who all feel the same way that she did she just is able to craft really emotional relatable and often autobiographical lyrics it set a new standard not just for women songwriters but for sensitive guys too to you know write their songs in complete isolation away from everybody else and then perform them in front of 60,000 people that all say, yes, I'm feeling that too. And then, of course, just brilliant, absolutely astonishing marketing ability to give people what they want and sometimes give the people what they don't even know that they want. Yeah, I was wondering whether my question was as dumb a question as uh, in the 1960s asking what makes the Beatles so special or in the 70s Springsteen or Billy Joel. And Billy Joel actually likened uh, Taylor Swift to the Beatles. Yeah, as I as I understand it. So, so what is yeah, it? absolutely. You know the the euphoria and the absolute um, bonkers that's going on right now with Taylor Swift's Eras tour. It's going to be the music industry's first billion dollar tour and then some. Right now, Elton John um, grossed about nine hundred thirty million dollars of his Goodbye Yellow Brick Road tour that lasted five years. Of course, two of the years were kind of canceled due to COVID. Um, but, you know, this, she's going to surpass that billion-dollar mark um, quite early in this tour. And then from then on in, it's anybody's guess. But right now, on average, each person going to a show so far this year has spent $1,800 Canadian on Taylor Swift, whether it's tickets, hotels, gas, food, parking, alcohol, um, merchandise. So you total up 50, 000, 55,000 tickets available 
at each of our six Toronto shows, at 330,000 tickets that's available. Each person is spending $2,000. That's $660 million worth of revenue that's going to be generated just from these six shows alone. No wonder Trudeau tweeted and begged her to come to this country. Yeah. Am I correct? 31 million people registered for tickets? Yeah, because it was opened up worldwide. And so, you know, part of... Sometimes when, when major... Artists announce shows. Um, they put a geo block on buying tickets, which means that if you are not from that city or state or province or country, you're linked up with that credit card's address, and so you're not going to be able to buy tickets. It seems that that wasn't the case for this one. So there were people around the world that are happily willing to put Toronto in their travel plans, just like they were when you were in, you know, in Winnipeg traveling to Minneapolis or Vancouver checking out the Seattle show, there were people that were coming halfway around the world for these for, for these shows. It's something that really hasn't been seen probably since Michael Jackson's Thriller tour, but before then, it actually might be Beatlemania, and there was four of them. Taylor Swift, only Taylor Swift. Yeah, I remember Beatlemania. I can't even say it. I was there. <laughs> did, did you see them in Toronto? No, I, uh, I had an opportunity to go into the uh, hotel room in Montreal at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel when yeah. uh, John and Yoko recorded Give Peace a Chance. And I, I, a couple of the guys from the radio station went. I was in my, I guess I was in my early 20s, 20, 20 or 21 years of age. And I had about enough. So of Lennon and, 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 and Yoko Ono and I didn't go. But another guy who went with me is the guy who's playing the drums, i.e. pounding the door. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, people want to know how the, how the, how the process goes. I, uh, the mom, uh, said, sent this to me. I tried to get some tickets for my daughter, but got waitlisted. Meanwhile, some people who entered multiple email addresses got multiple codes. How's it work? Yeah, it, it's really based on Ticketmaster's algorithm. And, and I know people get frustrated by Ticketmaster, but they have to understand that it's nothing more than a nameless, faceless website. Um, they work alongside, of course, with Live Nation, the promoter, or AEG, the other big promoter around the world, along with the artists to devise a system to ensure that there are as few computer bots gathering up tickets as possible and ending up on third-party websites. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that you know, with 30x million people that are trying to all get a code, um, nobody's quite sure how many codes were given out. In fact, nobody knows um, how many tickets were on sale during the verified pre-sale. It could have been 20 pairs of tickets. It could have been 20,000 tickets. Um, they keep that information close to the vest. And really, they don't have a, a, any right to give it to people. Um, we don't know how many bags of lettuce there are in the storeroom at the grocery store. So, you know, the price rise and fall based on supply and demand. Same thing with cars. Airline tickets we know because we can see how many seats are available provided that the airline actually is truthful and tells us. We don't know that about concert tickets. And in fact, in most cases, um, the, the promoters and the artists hold back tickets um, even well after the on-sale date for the general public just to add more buzz and more hype. Make sure that it's sold out. Make sure that people have a case of fear of missing out and will pay double to go and see it. That's all part of the marketing game. Right. It's all part of the buzz of creating excitement. Um, so when people online, and I've seen it, say, you know, I don't know anybody that's got a code. Well, it basically comes down to one in every 400 Eric. people perhaps got a code. Eric. I don't know 400 people, so maybe I know six. Eric. They try to weed it down as much as possible. Eric. Yeah. 
There's a young man across the glass from me, from me right now, in the other studio. He's the technical producer. His sister got two tickets going through this process, paid 150 each. Amazing. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, that's amazing. They should go in and buy a lottery ticket so if they win, they can now afford better seats to Taylor Swift. <laughs> I see that some of the resellers are, the tickets have reached close to 20 grand each. Yeah. Which, and that's U.S. That's amazing. Can yeah, we just spend I, I, a couple of minutes talking about Robbie Robertson? Yeah. Just uh, such a huge loss, you know. Yeah. I mean, has to be up there with the top three influential artists to ever come out of this country. That's yes. for sure. I'm right up there with Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. And, yeah. you know, Robbie Robertson was the band. Um, he was the one that drove them to success. He was the one that introduced the band to Bob Dylan, which changed music when Bob Dylan went electric and, and changed rock music and folk music forever. He was the driving force and he broke up the band because he just got so tired of the infighting and the drugs and alcohol problems that were going through the band um, and uh, went on to a huge successful career not only solo wise but also the the relationship that he had with Martin Scorsese making music yeah, for his yeah. films like you know Raging Bull and The Departed and just such a such a sad loss all around but you know, as always the music is there for us forever and uh, he and his band of course uh, back to Ronnie Hawkins they were known as the the Hawks uh, then yeah. before they were introduced to Bob Dylan when, as you said, he wanted to begin electrifying music. Uh, Robbie Robertson was one of my first interviews. Oh, uh, was he really? Yeah, yeah. Wh how old were you? How old was he? Uh, I would have been, I think it would have been about 1980, so I was, yeah. uh, I was probably, was I 32 or something? Was he as cool as I think he was? Oh, yeah. He was terrific. Yeah. Absolutely terrific. Yeah. Lots of time. You know, I find that with a lot of musicians. They're really, they're really cool. They're, they're well-spoken. Uh, they have their wits about them. They know what they're, they know, they're driven. They know what they want to accomplish. Right. And I just had that sense from Robbie Robertson. I couldn't believe he was 80. I, yeah, I couldn't believe he was sick. Um, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. apparently he was sick for a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, was a shock to me. But, you know, that's what happens when you kind of keep it close, close at hand. But, yeah, I think he was one of these guys that was just cool from 16 years old yep. onwards. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.